Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's happening tonight, fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. Happy National Signing Day, Eric. Happy National Signing Day postmortem. Uh, normal. The, I'm excited, though, for this episode, the my friend. I'm most excited. overrated day in <laughs> all of college sports is National Signing Day. But can I uh, can I tell you something though? Can I tell you something? I used to not like it at all and all that, but since I have become a radio producer, I actually like it. Because it gives it's an it's a cop out and an excuse to talk college football and book guests for to talk college football. So I've actually oh. grown to like it just from a producer's standpoint. Yeah, congratulations! You're part of the recruiting <laughs> media industrial complex. So, <laughs> so we we have that to talk about. That's the big story this week that we're going to be talking about. And uh, our guest today, we went. You guys are going to love this show because we went really long with our guest. Brandon Helwig joined us from UCFSports.com. No one is more plugged into UCF. Um, anything than he is. And, uh, and we spent almost an hour with him talking about recruiting and, and where the football program is right now. It's fantastic. You guys are going to love to sink your teeth into this. And we thank Brandon so much for joining us. So a reminder, you can hit us up on uh, Facebook, or excuse me, on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't forget to hit up Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. And if you don't already subscribe to our podcast, you should. And you can do so via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio as well. All right, Eric Lopez, National Signing Day is in the books for UCF football. Uh, They pull in 22, uh, hopefully, new student-athletes coming for the fall. Four of them are actually already on campus. They've already enrolled. They've enrolled early at UCF. Uh, a couple quarterbacks in the mix. They were able to get a kid who actually, uh, a wide receiver who at one point was um, recruited to, uh, was or actually was committed at one point to USC. I'm actually pulling up the, the class right now, but <clears throat> we're going to ask Brandon about this more in depth in a second. But uh, UCF shored up the defensive side of the ball. They got five linebackers. They got three offensive linemen, all of whom are over 6'4". Six, six, Two of them are 6'6". Six, six. Uh, and uh, the, uh, and over 300 pounds. Um, they got linebackers all over the place. T.J. Pitts, a kid who's 6'1", 250, who's really big. A <laughs> couple tall yeah. defensive ends, Stephon Zayas of Fort Lauderdale and Jeremiah Zio from St. Petersburg, who are both 6'6", and 6'8", respectively. Uh, Gabriel Davis uh, lo- was one local highlight, a uh, wide receiver from Seminole. He's 6'3", he's huge. The two quarterbacks I mentioned are Daryl Dar- Mack, from uh, Norfolk, Virginia, who's 6'3", 215. He can run and throw, as can uh, the other quarterback, 6'2", 184, from Wahoo, Nebraska. That's Noah uh, Vedrill. Bentavious Thompson was a big get, a running back from Miami, but 
the headlines are made by uh, running back Cordarian Richardson, who uh, signed actually, um, we're recording this on Thursday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Wednesday was National Sunday. He signed with UCF today in a bizarre situation where he um, initially got together with Bleacher Report to record a video where he released like a weather balloon off into like the stratosphere that supposedly was, and the video was edited so that to show that he was recruited or that he was going to sign with uh, Maryland on National Signing Day on Wednesday. Uh, then he shows up at the press conference. There's a Rutgers hat, and then he decides, "Well, I'm not going to commit today." And then today, UCF gets his letter of intent. He's six four. He's a big kid, six 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 feet tall, even two hundred forty pounds out of Memphis, Tennessee. So here's uh, Scott Frost at the press conference talking about the class overall. Today was pretty much on par with what we expected. Um, this year in recruiting is about as wild a year as I've seen um, with. Uh, kids jumping around, decommitting, recommitting, um, some schools dropping kids, kids moving on. Uh, recruiting's getting crazier and crazier, uh, but today was pretty calm for us. I've said this a lot of times, I think we're in the best recruiting market in the United States. Um, there's as many players closely clustered in this state uh, as you'll find anywhere in the United States. Uh, we want to have a big part in that. We want to give high school kids in Florida an option right here in the state. Uh, for a university to come and get a great degree and play great football. Um, that being said, we're going to take the best kids that we can get in each and every class. So uh, if there's a kid from another state that we like real well, we're going to go after him. But our, our primary focus in recruiting is going to be right here in the state of Florida. Obviously, the whole thing that drives me crazy, Eric, you know, oh, this is the greatest recruiting class in school history. Although, to be fair, according to rivals, UCF did leapfrog Houston with the late addition of Richardson to be the number one ranked um, class in the American Athletic Conference, and I believe number 58 overall in the country, Eric. That's about as far as I'm going to go on all this crazy recruiting ranking stuff. What say you about it? Yeah, I mean, look, every class has a, you know, I think every coach is going to grab players to fit their system. There's, and, and I think, I think I speak for every class. Out of these guys, there's probably going to be half of them are going to turn out to be really good. Yeah, half of them Maybe are gonna, half great. of them are going to play, right? Right. Maybe right. half of them are going to not pan out and maybe not even play college football or or transfer. I mean, that's that's what everyone right. forgets. And, and I've gone back and looked at the history of this before, and you know, you'd be surprised how how many players you know don't work out that everyone gets so excited about on National Signing Day. Right. I mean, and that goes for everywhere. I mean, I've seen uh, coaches have always talked about if they can hit you know, three out of four in this class, you know, percentage-wise, that, that would be a success. Uh, and the thing that always is interesting is there's going to be that five, four, five-star guy or the big-time hype guy that doesn't pan out, and then there's going to be that guy that nobody even talks about that turns out to be really good. And, uh, you know, we've seen that over and over and over again So over the years. So yeah, I don't see any walk different. walk-on all of a sudden gets drafted to go right. to the NFL, right? Sure. Sure, exactly. So, I mean, you know, uh, that's the that's the uniqueness of it, and uh, you know I think the, from a UCF standpoint, Scott Frost obviously feels very good about it, uh, and uh, so I I think that you know we'll see time will tell. You know you just got to see. I don't get caught up in the wow he decommitted. What does that mean? What you know I it, I always believe you let the coaches pick their players and then see what happens. I mean some coaches uh, will you know develop players and things like that. So 
I, I don't think just because they put a ranking on it uh, at the end of the day, uh, that that means a whole lot. Obviously, you want to get the best talent, but you got to do something with it at the same time. So it's a combination of things that, uh, but, you know, people always enjoy it. And uh, I think for people, it's just a way to really look uh, look ahead to tw- the, the following season in college football. I think that's what I really do think, Jeff, what I've kind of wrapped them around around it is that signing day is kind of like the NFL draft, right? Yep. Because the NFL draft, we're going to focus on the marquee names in the first couple of rounds, but there's always going to be guys in that second half of that draft that pan out that nobody even knows about until after the fact. And then there's going to be guys that turn out to be a bust, but we don't care. We want to enjoy to see what the teams do because we all deep in our heads think we are a general manager or recruiter. And, uh, you know, it's just an excuse to, Hey, the football season's just around the corner type of conversation. So, uh, I think that's kind of what signing day is. And, I've kind of accepted it uh, from that standpoint. Am I going to watch it every day? No, but I understand why people are interested because, again, I think you know you have your hardcore fans. They want to know every player they get and why they didn't get every player and why didn't they get the kid from the local area, yada, yada. And then I think there's other people that just say, well, okay, let, what does that mean for 2017? And does that address certain needs? And I think that's the big question as we'll get into with Brandon here, Jeff, is, you know, how quickly can certain guys on this class help next year's team? Because there are some areas that this team's got some question marks going into the spring. Yeah, we do get into that big time with uh, Brandon. And I want to get a, a quick shout out to Florida HS Football, FLA HS Football on Twitter. We were exchanging some messages uh, uh, on Wednesday, and he said, you know, verbal commitment needs to be verbal intent and letter of intent needs to be letter of commitment. That's the part of the thing that just drives me absolutely crazy about all the hoopla around um, around National Signing Day. UCF, by the way, according to Rivals, 53rd, not 58th. I should correct myself. But speaking of Rivals, let's go to our guest, the uh, publisher of UCFSports.com. We've known him for forever. You know exactly who he is. He's all UCF all the time. Let's go to our extended interview with Brandon Helwick. And joining us now, an old friend of ours going back to when we were students, Eric. Uh, He's the publisher of UCFSports.com. No one is more deeply embedded in UCF athletics than this guy. And he is, and when I wanted to have somebody on the show to talk about recruiting, he was my first call, of course. Brandon Helwig. He almost needs no introduction, but I gave him an extended one. What's up, Brandon? Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. It's always great talking with you and talking with Eric. Uh, we chatted, Eric and I chatted a little bit earlier uh, as I was a guest on uh, on, on Eric's station. So right. it's always fantastic talking recruiting. I, I know, Jeff, you, you kind of make it known that you're not the biggest fan of recruiting <laughs> or the biggest uh, aficionado, at least not as, until they actually sign. So I know you kind of got to cover the topic, and I'm right. glad to do whatever I can to assist. That's that's exactly why we have you on because, like I said, I, I, I mean, and we talked about this. Like the whole the whole recruiting thing in National Signing Day drives me nuts because I, I mean, I liked it when I was covering when I was working in Georgia. I always liked it from the kids' perspective, you know, because you know, National Signing Day we focus on college football, but there are thousands of kids who are signed on, you know, and mainly Division One, obviously F, FBS, right. but there are thousands of kids who sign to. You know, you sign up to play at like, you know, Presbyterian or, you know, Colorado School of Mines and stuff like that, you know, and, and 
those are the ones I like. But, you know, sometimes I feel like it just gets totally out of hand. And that gives us a perfect segue to actually what went down today regarding UCF's, um, regarding UCF's recruiting with um, – tell us exactly what happened <laughs> here with this kid from – with this kid who was you know committed to Maryland even, and now he's at UCF. I don't even know, okay? <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I'm as puzzled as anyone. I mean, I kind of got a little bit of background. I don't know if I have the uh, full story uh, quite yet. I, if anyone is listening to this, I'm sure they kind of know the general basis of it. Uh, as National Signing Day goes, for the most part, you're just waiting on signatures of guys who have been committed or you kind of know are going to be part of the class. But there's always a handful of guys that, you know, maybe because they're a little bit more higher profile, they can kind of drag out the decision and they're going to announce on signing day and get all that glory and UCF was waiting on a few guys, and, and one of them was this particular player, Cordarian Richardson from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, four-star rated running back, uh, Mr. Tennessee football, had been committed to Clemson for a long time, uh, reopened his recruitment in recent weeks, um, visited UCF, visited Ole Miss, visited Rutgers, and everyone pretty much thought that, you know, he, well, he said that that's my final three, uh, I'm going to announce on signing day. And so, you know, everyone knew it was going to come around 10 o'clock. And, and, you know, now with social media these days, it's, it's so much different in terms of, you know, covering recruiting and announcements. You know, the information flows instantly. So, right. you know, a lot of the local Memphis media, they're down at his high school and, and thinking, well, it's going to kind of, you know, surface that way. But uh, around that time, he, you know, uh, Bleacher Report and, uh, and Cordarian himself pushed live uh, a video that was produced by a Bleach Report that was apparently re- recorded uh, last week at his high school. And it was, <laughs> it was titled, what, uh, uh, Committed in Space. Right. He and, launched like uh, a, he launched like a, not a hot air balloon, but like a high like a altitude balloon. balloon. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. With, like with, I called it a weather balloon. I didn't even right. know what it was. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. You know, off in space. And then they kind of you know, graphically dropped in Maryland's logo at the very end. And, uh, and that's, and, and that was what went out and everyone's like, Oh wow, he's going to Maryland. Well then all of a sudden a report comes out that, um, that Richardson at at the press conference that you're talking about, there's a Rutgers hat on the table and then all hell starts breaking loose. Yeah, and then everyone's asking him, you know, what's up with Maryland? And he kind of gave some weird comments. And, and as far as we knew, he wasn't even, at least he didn't publicly disclose he was ever considering Maryland. As far as we know, he's never visited Maryland. <laughs> and so it was really odd. He made a comment that he didn't have papers or something. And I assume that meant letter of intent. I mean, it's pretty easy now. You can just email a PDF and someone at the high school could print it up and they could sign it that way. But you know, I just, you know, just kind of, you know, life goes on. There's other stuff going on. You know, other recruits deciding. UCF had their press conference in the afternoons. So I was like, okay, you know, just one of those crazy recruiting stories that you always remember and kind of moved on from that. And, uh, you know, so it was kind of a long day yesterday. I was I was still sleeping and, and you know, my phone's going off because, you know, one thing that I do uh, as, a, as a reporter is if you have got Twitter, you can turn on uh, notifications. And that's an easy way to, you know, I... I not everyone wants to sit on Twitter every minute of every day, but there are certain people that when they tweet, you know, my phone will you know, buzz with a little notification. I do it for the for all the UCF coaches because a lot of times they'll kind of use that as their bat signal if anyone you know follows Twitter when they have a commitment coming in or something. And I use it a lot during recruiting 
you know, certain recruits, you know, are going to, you know, make an announcement, you know, pretty much any minute or any day I'll have, you know, their notifications on as well. So, you know, I started hearing my phone kind of going off and, you know, Troy Walters, you know, offensive coordinator, Eric Schneider, uh, Javon DeWitt, all these coaches are kind of, you know, tweeting these graphics and kind of teasing of, of, you know, oh, there's, you know, we're not done, you know, big news coming out and, you know, kind of getting everyone amped and excited. I know the, the dungeon message war was going nuts with it. I'm like, yeah, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I kind of asking around and, and hitting up people and, you know, and, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Cordain Richardson, yeah, what happened there? You know, I just kind of had honestly kind of forgotten about it. And, as you know, I was encouraged to kind of check on his status. It became clear to me that, hey, he, he never signed with Maryland. Maryland put out a press release yesterday. He was not on it. Uh, DJ Durkin had a press conference, could not talk about him, wasn't asked about him because he wasn't on the list of uh, signees. So, you know, it, you know, kind of kind of heard that was, you know, sort of what was going on. And, and UCF had his letter of intent. And from what I understand in that time period, I don't know, it was like a couple hours or something before they officially announced it. They were just trying to make sure everything was on the up and up. You know, they've got his letter of intent. You know, did, did he send a letter of intent to other schools? You know, so they're trying to verify that because, I mean, that's, that's happened before, you know, with one of these things where you come out and say you're committed to another school and then all of a sudden you get the letter of intent. So you know, they just were trying to make sure everything was right and that's where he wants to go. And, you know, he knows that it's binding, just making sure everything, you know, was, was on the up and up. So when they did, uh, Scott Frost, I guess, you know, they, they I'm sure, you know, kind of did it that way with his Twitter account. They just kind of pushed it live, you know, welcome Cordarian, Cordarian Richardson to the family or however they put it. So it was kind of crazy, you know, and, and, you know, I don't really get caught, you know, I guess I'm in recruiting, but I, you know, I don't really get caught up in the, you know, stars and the rankings and all that stuff. I don't really, you know, cause I, I you know, it's, I mean, I, it is important, but then again, it, it isn't sometimes with the individual players, but you know, it's, it was a good addition for UCF and it pushed them to the top of the rankings in the American in terms of recruiting rankings. So you know, when it's all said and done, you know, this could be the, the highest rated class, you know, at least on paper, you know, they got to prove it on right. the field, but it could be the highest rated class on paper that you say, well, I've ever had. Where does this weird story rank of all your years covering recruiting and UCF as far as bizarre recruiting UCF stories? Is it at the top of the list or are you, do you have others that compare you know, to this or- it's, 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 I mean, in the more recent social media era, I would say it is the top because, you know, things have changed so much with, with social media and, and from a recruiting standpoint, I mean, it's, it's easy in some ways because, you know, it's easier to kind of track, uh, you know, what schools are doing. It's easier to establish rapport with recruits. It's easy to get a hold of recruits. But then again, because it's so easy, recruits get kind of, you know, disillusioned, I think, and a little bit tired of the process. I mean, some guys love it. I mean, they love the attention and everything else. But from my standpoint, (laughs) really? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, from my standpoint, for for what I do, I love being able to talk to guys. I want to talk to guys on the phone. I want to interview guys. And honestly, it's made it tougher. You know, more and more guys, they just want to tweet and just this is this is my decision and, and they don't. I mean, it, I guess that's the way it goes. I mean, I know with with me through the years, you know, every January, you know, my phone, you know, in terms of minutes, you know, when you still had cell phone plans that minutes, I'm, you know, I'm going over the minutes. I'm, you know, you're calling so many coaches and high school coaches and players, and you're trying to track down information the old fashioned way. Now I barely use the, you know, I barely talk on the phone because you're just texting people, you're messaging people, you know, you're kind of that's how how communication is these days, and that's kind of how it is for these these players. I mean. 
they just want to you know DM a, a sentence or two, you know, in terms of why they chose a school. No one wants to talk on the phone anymore, which uh, you know I enjoy doing. You know, so I, I always enjoy talking to the guys. So I think I got kind of distracted what we were talking about. Oh, you're talking about stories, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where does the story yeah, rank as far as the bizarre uh, stories? I, you I'm gonna, it's, it's still not, not still not number one. I, I know I've told this story on the message board several times through, through the years, and if anyone's been around, really when I first uh, started, you know, first couple of years of, of having my site, uh, UCSports.com. Um, this was when a lot of times, and, and I, unfortunately, it just seems like with UCF not really always having a lot of local players, and just feeling the need on signing day that you just kind of need to be in front of the computer because it's really tough to stay on top of things when you're driving around, you know, and then going maybe from a high school to high school for a signing day announcement. If there would have been a really, say, a really highly recruited guy or some guy announcing and you didn't know where he was going, that would have been going on in the Orlando area. I'm sure I would have gone to it. But, but if, you know, years back, I'd, I'd always get out on the road. And, and you know, I, I remember one year that actually this was the year. Um Started off the day, it was says 2002, uh, went over to Lake Howe High School around uh, 7 a.m. Uh, Brandon Marshall was uh, was signing and, um, you know, uh, covered him. He was real shy, barely talked, took a, took a few pictures, interviewed his coach. And then I drove out to uh, Brevard County where UCF had a few more guys uh, signing. And, and one of those stops um, was at uh, Cocoa High School. And there was a couple guys there, um, uh, Chris Welsh. Uh, played a defensive end, you know, was a very productive player for, for UCF. Yeah, I remember Chris, uh, yeah. He was one of them. And the other guy was a kid named uh, Rama Fuller, was uh, was his teammate. And he had been committed uh, to UCF for a long time. And, and, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, you knew some other schools were going after him, but he, he claimed he was solid and everything else. And, so they had the whole signing day, you know, ceremony and, and you know, the high schools and the, you know, the teachers that, you know, they're close with. They had a cake. They baked the cake, had both their names on it, and, you know, put UCF on it. So, you know, they make a big deal about it. And, you know, Chris signed and they're like, well, you know, and, and then and then Ramo was like, yeah, he's like, well, actually, I didn't sign today. Um, you know, Friday is going to be my birthday and it's going to be really special for me. To, to know that I signed my letter of intent on my birthday. And so, well, okay, sure. I guess that's interesting. <laughs> so, so be but, back here on Friday. <laughs> right. I wasn't, wasn't going to come back, but I mean, you know, he had his UCF hat on and, you know, took photos of him because, you know, back then it was, you know, think about how things have changed in a short period of time. It wasn't so easy to get photos, you know, guys. And you had to, had to take them yourself. You know, <laughs> digital cameras were fairly new really as far as, you know, a lot of people having them in their hands. So, you know, you're taking pictures of the guys and doing that. And he's posing like he's a future knight and, you know, all this, all this other stuff. And uh, as it turns out, um, what had happened is um, he got an offer from UConn. Uh, it came out later on, I believe that morning or maybe the previous night. And, uh, you know, back then maybe it wasn't as easy to, to transmit uh yeah, paperwork like it is now you know you just sent a pdf i am not sure when the pdf i mean i think they had that back then but i don't know what it was they what if they did they they had the overnight original copies so they probably faxed it to them they, so well i don't know they had to have original reference so they were overnighting the letter of intent and they were overnighting it maybe on signing day so he wasn't going to get it till maybe that thursday or so and so he kind of, you know, sort of stretched it out and, and kind of didn't want to announce that, you know, it's tough. I mean, if you change your mind and 
you've been with UCF for a long time. You got a teammate, you know, going to UCF. So he, he just didn't know how to handle it. And, and, you know, and so it was kind of funny when all of a sudden it comes out that, you know, he's not signing with UCF, he's signing with, uh, with UConn and, and you don't really see this anymore, but you know, he's, you know, message boards, it's kind of always been the same and everyone freaks out and everyone's like, oh, you know, low care, you know, you know, you get that kind of reaction, that angry fan reaction when, some guy doesn't do, you know, they, people disagree with the way they handled it, or you're not going to be on my team and, and all that. And, and he actually, um, he registered and, you know, he actually made a post on the message board on the UCF board on the dungeon and kind of explained his decision and why he was doing it. That kind of was, you know, one of those things on the message board, which, you know, I wish I would have saved the post and then the responses to it. But I mean, you know, most people kind of, you know, just kind of wished him well and all that stuff. And he had a pretty good career and, you know, got his degree from UConn and, you know, so yeah, I wish, wish him well and everything. But that, that was kind of crazy. You know, one that I was kind of personally involved with because, you know, I remember back then, you know, I was, I was leaving the high school and I was calling up uh, one of the UCF coaches that, you know, was going to be his position coach was Coach Zoe, uh, Lorenzo Constantini, who, you know, came back and coached at UCF years ago i'm like and and they were just kind of they didn't know what was going on and then i was kind of relaying the information back then to that coaching staff I'm like yeah he didn't sign he's not signing today and they were like what are you talking about like ACA he said he's signing on his birthday and they were like what like they had no idea so that always for me one of the first experiences i had you know kind of covering recruiting will always kind of stick out but in the recent era of social media this one was was definitely crazy gosh that's bizarre well so let's talk about the less bizarre stuff, specifically this um, this recruiting class this season. So UCF gets uh, well if you include uh, if you include Richardson, twenty two players. Uh, the position breakdown: two quarterbacks, uh, five linebackers, which you know they really needed. They really did need to shore up three DBs, three D linemen, three offensive linemen, three receivers, three backs. Um, we know that, that I, mean, I, I mean, obviously they had to shore up the linebacker position because that was really decimated this year. Uh, when you sta- when you look at the total picture, are the coaches honestly like you know? I mean, obviously they all say this is the greatest class in school history. Is this are they are they happy, or do they think that they kind of that that it could have been better? You know, I think when it was all said and done, I think the coaching staff can be pretty happy. Um, could it have been better? Well, yeah, it could always be better. Uh, you go and look at, at some of the guys that, you know, UCF thought they had committed and they were committed for a long time. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're lured, lured away. There's a total, it's funny, there's a total of six guys who were committed ended up at three different schools. Uh, two former commits ended up at Baylor, right. uh, that being DeMarco Artis and Justin Harris, uh, both the defensive line prospects. Two prospects ended up at Georgia Tech. That being safety, three Carpenter, defensive end Antoine Owens, and two players at Kentucky, offensive lineman Sebastian Dulcine, and uh, defensive or actually outside linebacker Chris Whitaker. So, you know, so they, those were some pretty good players. And, uh, you know, they did kind of backfill and they were able to, to kind of scramble and find some players late. But, yeah, it could have been a little bit better. I mean, maybe in the case of a few of those guys and kind of seeing how they conducted themselves through the process, um, you know, and they're young. And I, I'm not, I'm not one to get overly dramatic about any of this, but, you know, I think sometimes, you know, guys, when they get attention and 
the whole social media world of, of, of wanting likes and retweets and, you know, some of the stuff they did and kind of joking around how they were going to decommit and flipping from their commit. I know it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and it really was something they shouldn't have done if, if they, they, you know, wanted to, to reconsider, which is fine. Cause you know, I, it, before it seemed like, you know, recruiting always, there are a few guys that would change their mind, but it just seems like it's becoming more, more prevalent these past few years. But some of those guys kind of conducted themselves, not all, but some of them were a little bit, you know, probably could have behaved a little bit more maturely with that. So, you know, maybe you could look if you're a coach at UCF, you're looking at, you can kind of spin it and be like, well, you know, now that we kind of knew that about it, maybe that's not the kind of character that we want on our team. But, uh, but yeah, you know, for the most part, I mean, being at the way they close late, I mean, you know, because yeah. getting not just the running back that we talked about, getting Marlon Williams, a wide receiver, getting him over Georgia Tech, which I know was a source of satisfaction for the coaching staff, knowing that they had lost two players to Georgia Tech that had been committed. And in fact, that one's funny is because Marlon Williams actually had committed at both schools. Uh, he had, uh, you know, I hate the term silent commitment, but he had been a silent commitment to UCF and he had, after his visit and, and he kept on saying he was silently committed to the coach. He said, Oh, don't worry, coaches. I'm coming. I'm coming. And even said that before his Georgia tech visit, but I kind of know how that goes. There's been tons of guys that you've heard through the years. Oh, they're a silent commitment, but you know, if, if you don't put it out there, you know, you can easily back out of it without any of the backlash. So I don't really take any of that at face value, but. Uh, he went on his visit to Georgia Tech, talking about Marlon Williams from Mobile, Alabama, and he apparently committed to that staff this past Sunday. You know, upon his uh, upon leaving Atlanta, and he actually, um, you know, was was kind of you know for a while I think was kind of playing both sides, and maybe just really wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And I guess on on Monday and Tuesday, kind of you know figured out well, you know, where do I really want to go? I do want to go to, to UCF, and kind of committed. A little bit of a surprise. We thought he was going to announce on signing day. He announced on Tuesday night. So, you know, getting him was big. And obviously the running back and, and some of these other guys that got laid. There was a linebacker from Bartow, uh, LJ Cummings, and, and Michigan State was in the mix there. And getting him and some of these other guys. So, yeah, for all things considered, I think they finished about as well as they could have. Uh, you know, I don't know the, the academic. You know, I'm not looking at their transcripts and their progress reports and their ACT, SAT scores. I really don't know any of that. There's a few guys I know need a little bit uh, to improve a little bit in some areas. But then again, there were some some whispers of, of some guys last year, um, and they were fine. They did what they needed to do, and they're here. And a lot of them played big roles this past season. So you know, we won't know for sure. You know, until June, you know, when summer B starts. But as long as these guys enroll, you know, I think it's a pretty good class. I look at those. You are very good, Uh, Eric. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to be in Brandon. We've talked for years when we break down a class. Brandon's very good at dissecting the class and feeling that they address everything they needed or was there something they left out? I mean, to some extent, you kind of foreshadowed a little bit the the end of the O'Leary era kind of some of the holes. I remember when we did this, you're like, boy, there was a couple of years ago, they didn't really address the wide receivers like you thought they did. Uh, other positions. Is there a position in this in this class that you're like, I'm surprised they didn't attack it as much or things didn't work out like you thought? Or do you feel they addressed all the needs and, and maybe what's the strength of the class? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just want, you know, I'm I'm not a coach. I don't I don't know exactly what's going on every single day over there. Uh, but you know, as anyone has watched UCF football this past year, I mean, if you had to name one position group 
that clearly was not up to snuff. It was the off the, it was the offensive line. Uh, and we knew that. We knew coming into to this year, you know, and as what we saw in 2015, it just wasn't a very good group. And, you know, you're bringing a new system and, and you just kind of, I mean, you don't know how quickly they can get that turned around. And, you know, there's guys that are there now. Um, are they kind of capped out? Are they are what they are? You know, can they improve, you know, with another year? Are those guys going to get better? Um, these guys who, who redshirted, you know, they brought in some freshmen, obviously, in the first class for Frost guys who were fresh in these past year, you know, one guy played Jordan Johnson, you know, this was kind of thrown in there. A couple more guys are red shirted. Um, are those guys going to turn into product? Cause that's the hardest position out of all of them. I think is offensive line. That's, that's the one where rankings really don't matter at all because there's all, you know, because you know, you can have the size and all that, but if you don't have the heart, the, the, the toughness, you know, there's so many stories of guys who, you know, were, Maybe you know, late bloomers hadn't really developed it physically in high school, and then they blossom into fantastic linemen, you know. And, and I made a post on the dungeon the other day. Um, it was Josh Sitton, you yeah. know, and, and he was a guy that, you know, when he got to to UCF, and and you know, this was O'Leary's first class. It was like the first month on the job. I think O'Leary even you know had the heart attack, and there was a lot going on, you know, that first couple months that he got to, to UCF, December '03, January '04, and. You know, some of these players, I remember, you know, and everyone, it's it, nothing, nothing changes sometimes. And, and fans kind of, you know, make little comments like, oh, you know, what kind of recruits are, are we getting here? And, and you know, Sidden was one of those guys that his he had two offers, UCF and Nickel State. And, you know, and people were like, you know, what are we doing here? You know, is this guy like some one double A level recruit. And he was a he was a recruit where they told him he was going to play defensive tackle because that was kind of his bread and butter in high school but O'Leary was smart he knew how to how to you know develop and, and identify guys that could fit different roles and he knew all along he was going to play the offensive line and then they got the first day of practice you know I don't know maybe he was still listed as a D tackle I'm not sure but you know he ran out there you know, with the offensive lineman I remember that first practice going on was, oh yeah I thought Justin was playing D oh he's on the offensive side oh okay so, you know, and then he turned into what he is today, you know, we have a multi-year, uh, multi-pro uh, bowl offensive lineman, one of the best in the game. And so, you know, you know, you don't really know how it's going to work out. UCF's had walk-ons that come in to be fantastic offensive linemen. They've had guys who maybe were highly ranked and are busts and they don't know how did you know, don't really have what it takes and never really see the field. So it's really hard to know what's going on there, you know, you know, are the guys, you know, how's that? And that's why I would love to. I don't know if we're going to be able to see any of spring practice. Uh, we weren't able to see any practices this past year, <laughs> but I, I'd love to know kind of how that's going to develop. So they they signed three. Okay. To get back to your original question, they signed three. They had four. They thought they were going to sign four. Uh, one of the guys decommitted, uh, Victor Beach, uh, went to Purdue. That was a crazy story, too, because he had, he had been committed forever. He was a cheerleader. He was the ambassador for the class. Yeah, he was, he was and pretty active he was, on social media. I remember you yeah. know, seeing retweets from you about him, yeah. Right, and then you know we talked about social media with certain personality types, and we all see it. It doesn't matter if you're 17, you're 18, you're 25, you're 35. You know, you have your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and you know the people that just constantly need attention. And, you know, and, and just the way it is, and maybe, I don't know, if I would have had Twitter, you know, when I was 17, I don't know if I, maybe I would have been just like some of these other guys, you know, and wanting that attention too. But, you know, he really kind of, it seems like in recent weeks, he kind of became really needed more and more of that attention. He was, 
he got a couple walk-on offers uh, from Florida and LSU, and he was trying to tweet, oh, you know, I got an offer from these places, and, you know, just as a walk-on, which is great, you know, which is a big honor, but, you know, he was, he was just kind of playing into that, and I think it got to a situation where, you know, you get on Twitter and, you know, recruits are friends with all these other recruits nationally and statewide, and they see all these guys, you know, taking official visits every weekend, having a good old time, and, you know, he's been committed to UCF for six, seven months, and you know, he took his visit a couple months ago, and he went to take visits, and you know, other schools are kind of, hey, you know, come over, visit our school. And so Purdue entered the picture and wanted him to visit, but he knew, uh, at least with offensive line, it's kind of, you know, every coaching staff kind of has their own unofficial rules when it comes to recruiting and commitment to taking visits. But with offensive linemen, because Greg Austin kind of oversees, you know, he's an offensive line coach. You said oversees all those. He's like, if, if you're committed to UCF as an offensive lineman, you don't take other visits. If you don't, if you take other visits, you know, they, the you shop, we shop kind of mentality. So he wanted to have fun and take a visit, but he didn't, you know, he knew what would happen with UCF. So he tried to, tried to conceal it. Uh, you know, he knew that it make it, make it out that he was going to be out of school on that Friday. So he made up a story and told the coaching staff that had he was flying out of state to visit his grandmother, and he told the other other commitments that as well because you know all the commitments and maybe we're on Facebook we have different group chats or on Twitter you know maybe you got you know three four or five people you kind of have something dialogue with they have the same thing all all the commitments are kind of going back and forth with each other on that and you know he kind of said the same thing to the other uh, recruits committed as well and so parents lied about it and. You know, you, you can't keep a secret these days with social media. If you go on a busy, you just can't. It's going to get out. So it got out and UCF didn't really know about it. And, you know, the, there was a confrontation, I guess you could call it that, a, a phone confrontation. And UCF was very upset. And, you know, I don't know if he was going to decommit anyway. Maybe he was, you know. Um, you know, I don't know what the fascination with 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 Purdue was with him because it seemed like he was so solid. I mean, it seemed like he was Mr. UCF. So I, I don't know what happened there, but he did decommit. And at that point, I think UCF kind of felt like they didn't really want him. You know, I don't know that that could be just spin because you know everyone kind of says that. But I think they just kind of, if you're an offensive lineman, you want to have the you know you don't really necessarily you know back to the O'Learyism about me guys. You know, and maybe that was just a 17 year old thing, and he would grow out of it. But I think they kind of got annoyed at that, and particularly with him. But yeah, they would like to sign another one, and you know, late in the process. Um, Finding an offensive lineman that you feel like you're not sacrificing quality or character for is hard to find. So I think they they kind of you know would have liked to sign another you know they'll we'll see you know um, maybe a fifth year transfer materializes you know in the springtime I don't know I mean there's been a few I know they've kind of I checked in with I don't know if those will happen and there's a kid from uh, USC looking to uh, transfer for a fifth year I, I am not sure how interested he is he's going to have a lot of interest from other schools so. That might be one area they uh, maybe undersigned in, and that just got to get better. And, 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 you know, before, you know, you can have the best running backs, quarterbacks, whatever, but as we saw, if the offensive line can't block, uh, you know, you're going to be in for a struggle. Right, right. Let me ask you about the quarterbacks, because UCF picked up two of them, and uh, they're both bigger kids. You know, they really wanted this kid, Daryl Mack, from uh, the Tidewater, Virginia area. He's 6'3", 215. And then uh, Scott Frost also pulled in uh, uh, Noah Noah Vedrill, who's six two one eighty four out of he's out of Nebraska. And apparently, he he and his family when uh, Scott Frost and his family go go back a ways. But um, with signing two quarterbacks, especially guys who are you know six three and six two, 
for this offense. Is that is that a are, is that their way of keeping McKenzie Milton honest? Are those guys going to threaten for the job? Uh, well, I mean, I if, if if I don't know who else will, you know, if you look at the depth chart. I mean, there's there's nobody, there's nobody there. else I mean, left. <laughs> you've got, I mean, in springtime is going to be interesting. You've got M- McKenzie Milton, you've got Pete DeNovo coming back for a fifth year, and you know, I, I think I think Pete brings a lot to the table in terms of his knowledge of the system and in the meeting rooms and in the practice fields and all that. He's to me, he'll kind of be that Nick Patty that UCF had last year, just that guy to, to kind of, you know, tutor the younger quarterbacks because he knows exactly what he's doing. But I don't think he's going to be challenging for the starting job, you know. It's kind of like and, Frank uh, Reich back there, right? Like he's he's, yeah. he's going to be the backup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're third stringers. And, but, but he has a valuable role. He still has got a valuable role. He may not be, you know, challenging for the starting job. So, but that's it. I mean, as far as scholarship quarterbacks, it's McKenzie Milton, it's Pete DeNovo, and it's these two recruits that are coming in, and they won't be here till late June. So with the nature of this offense, and, and we saw McKenzie uh, was hobbled at times with injuries this past year, missed some games, um, and I don't think he was ever 100%. You know, later on in the year, um, you know, and, and quarterbacks naturally are going to get you know most of the praise when things go well, and they're going to get most of the blame when they don't go well. But he was never 100%, and you know, the jury is still out, you know, as far as, as, as he goes and, and, and whether he's the quarterback of the future. I think he had some arm issues, some shoulder issues lingering. He got hurt as a senior in high school, and I think that had affected, if you kind of look at it, his throwing motion, I think kind of deteriorated as the season went on and everything right. else from the, from the fatigue of the year. So, you know, we really don't know, you know, is obviously it's his job to lose. You know, he's going to be the main guy this spring, but I think he's got a chance to be really challenged by one of these guys. And if there's one that seems maybe just just I'm basing this on, you know, how Frost was talking about him, how the coach is kind of talking about it, it does seem that if, if one is, is better uh, positioned to compete early, it's the kid from Virginia, Daryl Mack. Um, you know, t- that really, to me, seems like the guy that they really had to have and and I think, as we talked about earlier, about guys who had decommitted, there was a quarterback from Dr. Phillips, Marvin Washington, and I think he, he maybe became a little bit disillusioned. He was the first to commit, and, you know, as UCF continued to recruit quarterbacks, and obviously at one point had three of them committed. I think he kind of felt like, you know, maybe he wasn't the, the number. I mean, everyone probably, you know, you got to compete and earn it, but I think he got disillusioned a little bit, and I don't think UCF really minded because I think they got the one that they really felt like they needed to get in uh, Daryl Matt. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can come in. And, and there, I mean, one of them's going to play. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the nature of this this offense. I mean, you know, you're going to run a lot as a quarterback. You're going to get hit. I mean, you're gonna, at some point, I, you know, even if it's not serious, I'm sure whoever the backup is is going to play at some point. Um, I don't. I you can't. I can't see McKenzie Milton able to take every snap in every single game. Something's going to happen. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that battle unfolds. And they're still not where they should be depth-wise. It's just, I don't know, you really, it's really hard to recruit. I guess they could have recruited three, but it's really hard to, to load up on quarterbacks in one year. And, you know, guys will obviously, you know, when they're not playing, one of them is, you know, obviously going to transfer out. So you kind of need to break it up a little bit, you know, in terms of, of the different classes. So, you know, I think you'd like to have five. On, on scholarship, uh, you know, every single year. And I guess they'll go into it. I guess they'll have four this year when you include P. Um, but yeah, they'll obviously, that'll be a big need going ahead for future recruiting classes. 
Let's talk about the running back position. Forget even this late breaking ad, the breaking news with the late ad here. The sense I got is they were very happy with this running back class. Otis Anderson, obviously, is the name that everybody is familiar with, with his ties, of course, uh, and so forth. But I've talked to people that have covered him in high school, and they think he's the real deal. Uh, to me, I'm, I mean, obviously, all the attention is going to be on the quarterback position, but I'm kind of excited to see what the competition is going to be at, at the running back position here coming in the spring. Yeah, and, and there's there's going to be uh, a lot of people that can do things with the football. I mean, just talk about the freshman pit last year. You got Joan Hamilton. You got Adrian Killens. Uh, there should still be a role, um, you know, for guys like a Taj McGowan. Um, I'm not, you know, there's still C.J. C- Jones is on the team. And then you add these guys into the mix. Uh, whatever, we don't have to worry about whether he gets here or not. He's already here. He's enrolled, as you mentioned, uh, Otis Anderson. Uh, very first player to commit. UCF doing so um, last March, and uh, I believe um, I think Coach Hell talked about. I'm trying to remember different coaches who talked about which players. But last night at the signing day event, uh, all the coaches got up and you know talked about you know all the different signees, and uh, he's already put on 10 pounds. He, uh, the coach I mentioned regarding Otis and just getting into a, a college level strength program and eating better and all that stuff. And uh, you know he's a smaller guy, you know a little bit more of the you know, killings and, and that kind of size. Uh, and these other guys are, as you mentioned, obviously a lot bigger. And, and UCF really doesn't have any of those. You know, Don Travius Wilson was a little bit, you know, he wasn't maybe quite as tall as somebody, but he was he was more solidly built. And that's a, a, a mode of a running back that since he's graduating, UCF wasn't really going to have on roster. So between Bentavious Thompson and um, Cordarian Richardson, Cordarian Richardson, I mean, he would be like, I forgot where did they put him at? Did they put him at 240 in the signing? Uh, I was going to go back and look at the tweet because sometimes <laughs> they update those those things because usually what they traditionally do is uh, they, they you know, obviously they measure the guys when they come on the visit. So they want to have the accurate uh, height and weight. So, I mean, he's massive. I mean, you know, he looks he looks at the build of like a you know NFL linebacker. Um, yeah, six, uh, 240 pounds. That's, that's where they list him as. Yeah, they do. So, you know, that brings a whole different di- uh, dynamic. So, you know, as you as we talk about receiver and running back and, and some more talent uh, at quarterback, it's just as we said a minute ago, it's getting that offensive line. I think some of the so the pieces are getting in place, but it's just really going to depend on that offensive line to put it all together because there'll be a lot of weapons. Assuming all these guys qualify, there'll be a lot of weapons at their disposal next year. So let me ask you about the recruiting industrial complex now. Um. The NCAA's Division I Council uh, may or may not approve a early signing period, which the, which we know the coaches have wanted forever. Because um, it seems like it will. It seems yeah. like there's a nine percent chance it will go through. Right. So okay. So so they're meeting April thirteenth and fourteenth, and the way the way I understand it is there would be an early signing period for football. Uh, starting in in for the class of 2018 in mid December, which right. kind of takes the sheen off National Signing Day for um, for the for, for the recruiting media industrial complex, but huh. um, but the coaches have wanted this for forever, and I think it was it was it the presidents who opposed it all this time. Uh, well, there were different uh, different coaches. Um... That you know, usually I, I can't remember who that. I think the Urban Myers and those kind of people had yeah. opposed it. But I mean, from what I read the last few months, I think everyone's come around. I yeah, mean, George was always in favor of it. I remember. 
Yeah. I mean, if you're a program like UCF, I think it, it can only help because, you know, you have to hold on and hold on and hold on to these guys and, and some of these quote-unquote, you know, schools and, you know, I don't want to say bigger schools, but schools maybe in higher-profile conferences come along late and then you get a little bit frustrated. But there's a lot of questions of, of just what happens with recruiting because, you know, as I was sitting there yesterday in the press conference, I mentioned to Andy Seeley is in charge of UCF Media Relations. I'm like, you know, what are you guys doing next year? Is this, this is the last, you know, true signing day that we're going to have like this. Are you going to have a press conference in mid-December? I mean, that could be at a time where you're preparing for a bowl game. Are you just kind of just kind of just sort of, you know, address it? you know, in, in a smaller fashion and then just kind of, you know, wait till the, because the February date's not going away. That'll still be a date. It'll just be both. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I get the sense that, you know, as far as school is, they'll probably just, they'll, they'll still probably blow up that early February date, but some of the craziness of, you know, late flips to different schools and stuff, I just think that's going to get moved up a little earlier um, it'll be interesting because UCF did have a few guys committed. Like, as I mentioned, these guys eventually decommitted the Antoine Owens and three Carpenter types. They kind of, during the season, I mean, they made it clear that they were still shopping around. So it'll be interesting. You get to a December. If you've got a guy who's already committed, it's kind of, you know, you're going to sign or not, or you're going to get dropped. And so it'll be interesting. That one thing that it kind of goes hand in hand with what you're talking about, there's a lot of things that are, I think, going to be approved. One of them is going to be the addition of a 10th assistant coach. Yeah, that's going to be big. And, and that also ties into recruiting as well. Um, I think if you talk to Scott Frost, he's just going to have a full-time dedicated uh, special teams coordinator. Um, but I think for some other schools are, are talking about when they see the early signing period, they're going to have this 10th coach, you know, whatever title. I don't, I don't think they're going to call him Mr. Recruiting Coach or whatever he'll really be. They'll give him some other kind of title, but he'll have the flexibility to pay more attention to recruiting during the season because this early signing period obviously comes right at the end of the season. And, and when the season's going on, I mean, for the most part, you know, the, these coaches, they want to worry about recruiting a little bit during the spring, you know, just because they're obviously going to be bringing in guys you know, juniors and seniors to be there and be coming in on business during spring ball and all that stuff. So they're worried about it then. They're gonna, they really, in the summertime, when they have camps, you know, they want to at least kind of get the basis of their recruiting class going, get a bunch of commitments. But then when the season gets here, there's so much on their plate, they don't really have the time or really want to spend on these guys and, you know, making them feel special. And then, you know, when, with the bye week, UCF didn't even really have a bye week this past year. So, you know, being able to, travel and maybe visit high schools and go to games i mean that's kind of on the back burner so, so some some schools undoubtedly from what i hear are going to have a, a coach where you know hey coach you're that 10th coach don't really worry about being at practice you know you're the assistant tight ends coach or something don't worry about the game plan you know this this week why don't you just you know this is this is where you're going you need to check in with these guys make sure these guys that we have committed are happy and you know, visit these guys on friday night you can go to this game or something you know, just to kind of you know be that rec- recruiting presence because you know, schools do have recruiting staffs, but these are guys who are in the office guys because they're not a full-fledged assistant coach. They can't get out get out on the road to travel. So I, I think that'll be be interesting. I think I think some of the SEC and some of those you know places where recruiting is just crazy, crazy, crazy. I think that tenth coach will kind of be that guy to kind of manage the recruiting. You know, also in anticipation of because that craziness, I think. Is going to get pushed up. It's going to be just as crazy as before the December date as it is before the February date. 
Brandon, you've covered obviously a lot of these UCF uh, cl- signing classes. You've been, you, I know you went to Wednesday night to their uh, signing day event. Uh, you've been going that for years. I'm just wondering, you know, and, and it's hard to compare George O'Leary and, and Scott Frost in this early stage. They both recruit different type of players and have different schemes. But I was always a defender of George and his recruiting. I would always get in arguments where a certain person on this line that wasn't you, Brandon, and other people <laughs> that that had issues with George's recruiting style. That, oh, he didn't recruit in the state of Florida and this. And my philosophy is as long as you get the best players that fit your system and you win, I don't care where they're from. Uh, I know it's early in Scott Frost's era, but how would you kind of compare how George handles the recruiting classes and recruits to Scott Frost's recruiting? And I, and I thought about that because Sean Becton was on Tuck and O'Neill, and he's, he's worked for both. And he, he said they both were unique and had their own way of getting their own players. So is there that drastic of a difference between the two of them when it comes to just trying to find the best player that fits their system? As, as we talk about and comparing Georgia Leary and Scott Frost, I mean, at first glance, people think they couldn't be any more different. But honestly, they're very similar. I think they both kind of view recruiting as a necessary evil of the job. They don't necessarily enjoy it, but they know it comes with the territory. And just kind of their mannerisms that are kind of coming out as you hear Frost more and more. Um, you know, he may not use some of the GOLisms isms talking about the me guys and social media, but his his responses to questions about recruiting and he talks about rankings and they're very similar to what George O'Leary would, would have to say about it. You know, um, even when we talk about the events like last night at signing day show, you know, he, he comes up and tells terrible jokes. I mean, I mean that, you know, in a fucking, that's what it is. I mean, he would, they're, they're terrible jokes. They're just like George O'Leary jokes. Okay. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of that same, same manner. And, and one of these things we talked about, you know, for years, you know, a local high school coaches would get all butthurt. Oh, you know, George O'Leary doesn't recruit the local players and they'd get all upset about it. And George O'Leary, you know, at various times, because he's, he's local, you know, he's, he's going to do things the way, the way he thinks they should be done. And, and maybe some coaches feel they were a- alienated or what have you, but you know, Scott Frost is just the way it goes. He didn't recruit really he didn't, he didn't really end up, not to say he didn't recruit, he didn't. He only ended up with one local player, um, which is the way it is. You know, it's not like he was trying to, you know, not recruit Orlando. And, you know, he tried to get more players than just Gabe Davis, who's from Seminole, uh, Sanford Seminole High School. But it's kind of funny. I feel like if George O'Leary was still here and he only signed one local player, somebody somewhere would be, you know, bring that against George as they always did, you know, about recruiting the local players. It's just this. You find the players where you can find them. And, you know, most of them from Florida. And, you know, a couple late guys ended up from Alabama. Got a guy from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, maybe the Georgia influence maybe isn't there like it was uh, with UCF a few years ago. But honestly, I think both coaches are very, very, very similar. Yeah, Frost is going to be a little bit more laid back, um, not quite as intense, you know, in certain aspects, obviously, as George was. Um, more of a, I don't want to say a player's coach, but more in tune with players' needs today, which I think George was kind of struggling with as, as you know, millennials or I guess these recruits are incoming players. We, I don't know if they change the terminology of generations yet with these guys who are, are now going to be born in the late 90s. But just kind of the the, the, the changing personalities or players that, you know, got player, young guys are different today than they were 20, even just 20 years ago. So I think I think George kind of, 
lost uh, a little bit of that of that connection in these last few years and everything else. But honestly, as it pertains to recruiting, I think both coaches are very similar. Well, last thing, Brandon, last thing before we let you go. Obviously, you go into the 2017 season, they lose some personnel on the defensive side. You got seven home games. What's kind of – give me a couple storylines. I know the quarterback position is going to be talked about with – McKenzie and everybody. But outside of that, what are you looking forward to when spring ball starts up in March and obviously the spring game in April and then we go into 2017? Oh, there's there's a lot, you know, to, to kind of look at, um, you know, going six and six, you know, you know, you want to build on that. You know, you want to do better than that. Um, you know, you have the offensive line needs to continue to improve. We already talked about that on defense. You lose a lot of guys. I mean, that was the one thing that kept UCF really in a lot of games and, and, you know, they won a lot of games because of their defense, but you lose your entire secondary. You lose a good portion of your linebackers. You do bring back your entire defensive line, uh, which is great. Uh, but that's a big question mark. You know, um, how are you going to replace those guys? I mean, there's been some guys waiting in the wings, um, some transfers, you know, uh, obviously these recruits coming in, uh, can you, you know, can they come in and not really uh, miss a beat? You know, is the offense going to have to maybe carry the defense at times? You know, that seems like a bold statement considering that never really happened this past year, but can they make that kind of improvement to do so? So there's a lot of question marks there, uh, even outside of the football field um, with all the changes that, you know, the athletic department's doing with the, what they call the rise and conquer initiative and, you know, overhauling the stadium, making the West side a club and kind of, doing some changes there and student section. And, and, you know, that's been a big topic the last few weeks since it was announced. I'll be kind of curious to see how that goes with, you know, ticket sales and all that stuff. And, you know, the football schedule should be coming out soon. Um, you should be coming out really any day, any week, you know, the American schedule. So we'll kind of figure out how the, you know, obviously the games are laid out from what I understand it could be a very front heavy schedule for UCF in terms of home games, which will be interesting. From what I understand, we'll see if it happens. We already know what the non-conference schedule is. You know, one of them being that uh, marquee home game, I believe the third week against Georgia Tech. But there are five Saturdays in September, and from what I understand, four of them are going to be home games. So you said this has seven home games, but they're going to get you know, majority of the home schedule is going to be over and complete by the end of September. Uh, that, that second weekend right now is open, but from what I understand, that's going to be a conference game, and the, the, the rumblings through the grapevine is that's going to be a conference home game. I believe It's not happening now, but if you guys remember some of the rumors about potentially moving a game to the Citrus Bowl, right. I believe that was going to be the weekend they were talking about. I believe it's yeah. against Memphis, but I mean they, they could change course. Memphis, UConn, there's a few teams they could play that second week. From what I, I mean, like I said, it could change next week or whenever the schedule comes out. But from what the buzz is, you see if it's prepared to have four of the first five weeks be at home. And so you could go into and, and, and then you also know is the USF game is Thanksgiving weekend at home. So basically that's uh, you could have two only two home games for the entire duration of October and then all of November until that Thanksgiving, which, you know, is a home game. So it kind might be a weird layout. And wow. uh, I, I'll be curious how that kind of works out and, you know, how fans are with, with, you know, Friday night and Thursday night games and noon games. And, you know, we won't really know all that right away. Um, well, and Brandon, so that, and Br 
Brandon, what that tells me, too, is there could be some cold games in November. I mean, Temple's on the road. That could be in November. That could be a cold-weather game. I mean, we'll forget the SMU game in uh, 2013 when UCF clinched. That was an ice bowl. So that tells me there's a chance, there's a high probability they might get some cold games here in the back end, too, which could hurt them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, even for me, and we were talking about, you know, the whole ticket sales, and when people look at the schedule, I'm like, oh, you know, all these front loading. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be kind of curious to see if that impacts things at all. And just, you know, just the way it is these days with, you know, conferences, you know, can, can pretty much control the scheduling, what days you play. I think one of the greatest things that has helped Orlando City, not to get too off topic, but for the most part, every game they play is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for the most part, Friday, Saturday at night. You know, you know, it's hot, you know, it's Florida. Most of the year, it's going to be hot and People like those primetime games, and for the most part, you know, when people commit to a season ticket, they know when all the games are going to be, and you don't know that anymore. You know, sometimes you only find out, six, you know, six days in advance when the game is going to be. So, you know, that's one thing to look at, non non football anyway, that I think we'll be talking about here in the next week or two when the schedule is finally released. Brandon Helwig, all right, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me uh, on my website, uh, ucfsports.com. Uh, been in existence since uh middle of 1999 so it's for the most part it's been where everyone has uh gathered to talk and discuss ucf sports you know the message boards on the dungeon uh twitter is ucf sports so anything ucf sports on any account is pretty much connected to me it is as close to a ucf only social media platform uh that you can find anywhere but much more than that brandon You've been doing a fantastic job with it for years. And, I mean, I've known you, we both have known you since we were students and you were not long after, you know, you started the site um, and not long after you graduated from UCF. And it's just, it, I'm so happy that we got you on the show for the very first time. And I hope we can have you on again time, sometime soon. It was a tremendous honor uh, being on the show. And, you know, I remember when I met both you guys, I'll never forget meeting Eric Lopez at the Clemson game in 2001 yep. outside yeah. the stadium. And I don't remember the game, but I know I met you, Jeff, in the uh, Citrus Bowl press box. It was right. It had to uh, have been, it had to have been the fall of O two because I was doing play by play at that yeah, time with and WNSC. He, and it was me, Matt Dunaway and Matt. I Okay. Cause we I remember you were explaining time. what, what you do. And, and you, you know, I think you were wearing like a white shirt and a tie or something. Is that something like something you yep. would have been wearing back? Yeah. That play was, by play? Yeah, that was the thing. I was, I was the sports director of the, of the station at the time. And I told everybody, I said, no matter what event we do, we're wearing a shirt and a tie because I always yeah, wanted and, to make a good impression on everyone that was there. And didn't you also do basketball as well? Yep. We did everything. We did bat. We did both. Did, did one year, didn't you go up? You went up to the conference tournament, right? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I know I went up there. Dunaway went up there three times. I went up there, uh, once and it was, uh, it was the one in, it was in Belmont. It was the, le- it was right. the second of the two straight in 05. Cause I had a job that prevented me from going the year before when we won, but I, I went up to Belmont and that was a, I remember that was a whole week where I did, there was a women's basketball game. No, there was a baseball game in Daytona beach that I did. And then I drove up there's a women's basketball game the next day, UCF at Belmont, and then the men's tournament started the next day. And we did, we used to do all the games for the conference, and they would put our web link uh, for the Atlantic Sun Conference. They would put our webcasting link up there on their site. 
they were very excited about that. I remember yeah. because they're like, wow, we got guys coming in and broadcasting these things. <laughs> they, frankly, they were nobody also, cared about the Atlantic Sun, and they, they were so happy that you guys were pretty much doing I know. it for free. They, they, exactly. That's why they were happy was because they weren't paying us a dime to do it. We were just so happy to do it, and 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 that. But that was fun, and it's led, and it's led to you know this here, and actually. You know, yesterday I was actually at USF doing a game for the American Digital Network, um, a women's basketball game between uh, USF and Cincinnati. So, and Eric, of course, has been all over the place doing softball, which we used to do on tape delay on the old ra- on the radio station. Well, I call it a radio station. It was Campus right. Cable Channel Twenty One. Uh, that was the only way you could get it, unless you had the online feed through Shoutcast, which is which is uh, which is a throwback in and of itself. But yeah, those are the days, man. That was, and now we're doing this now. So look at, look, look. I, I, I just love the fact. Now I know we've been talking way too long for your podcast, but I just no, I no, love this the, is fine. <laughs> I love me. the fact that I, you know, with, with guys growing up today, they don't really know anything but just easy, easy communication, social media, whatever. But I kind of like the fact that you know that all of us kind of grew up in a world where. You know, for a while, you know, that, you know, it was radio. I'd listen to some games only on the radio. I mean, that was the only way to listen yeah. to a game. I, I remember getting first on the Internet. And um, when I first you know, started following UCF, I was in high school and and uh, there was a website. They had a chat room. And I remember what people used used to do when UCF would play a road game on the radio and there'd be UCF fans that live in other states. It was literally a chat room where people would describe what they were listening to on the radio <laughs> so people would, could follow a game. This was before, they, I think they were calling it real audio or, you know, whatever the easy, the, yeah, the, 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 the technology. Yeah, before real player and all that, yeah. Right, the, before, right before that technology, I think, I think if, 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 with UCF, the first year they had audio streaming was 98. But when I first started following UCF intently in 97, they didn't have that. So if you were living in Atlanta or some other city that was out of 740 uh, radio that was the only way you were following the game if you were on the internet you know other than you know years before just seeing the score scroll at the bottom which if UCF was playing at a different level one double a you probably weren't getting yeah, so weren't I kind of like that it. fact that you kind of have perspective of how the different technologies have evolved through the year because things now it was amazing because last night this the signing day show you know I'm listening to that but I'm very interested in what's going on with UCF basketball at Houston and so Got, got the tablet. I have it propped up on a table. I'm watching the game, literally watching the game on a tablet while I'm listening to this. And I would just, I'd have been mind boggling to explain that to somebody in 1997. So, no, you're right. And, and, you know, it's funny because the other day, the UCF announced its baseball radio schedule. And that was always the thing I look forward to seeing is how many games would be on the radio. And I don't know if some people maybe take that for granted now because there's other ways you could follow the baseball broadcast and stuff like that. But like, I was like, wow, 32 games, you know, this year and stuff <laughs> well, like that. And it's well, like, eh, whatever, you know, every other game you could we follow. Used to, and stuff. So well, Eric, funny. remember, we used to look at it and, and find the games that 740 wasn't doing because those were the games yes. that we would do when oh, we were yeah. students. Yeah, when we were students, we were kind of holding our breath. We're like, oh, 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 he picked that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, they got all the Stetson <laughs> games. Daggummit, you know. Those are, that was a great. Game. I love it. Hey, I love it that UCF and Stetson they're playing again. Right, I think right now it's only yeah. one game. But when I talked to uh, Coach Lovelady, the baseball coach, I uh, you know with being in Florida, there's going to be weather. I mean, there's probably a good chance that there's going to be some rain out or something happens early on right. in the year. And if that happens, I mean, if it impacts UCF, it probably impacts the land. So if there's a game that needs to be made up, he said they've got they're going to they they can do it. They'll they'll play Stetson. You know more than just once. If that happens, we'll see if it does. I hope he does. Brandon. It's amazing too, by the way, and it's amazing because 
Terry Rooney and not there, and Pete Dunn's not there. Pete Dunn just retired in the fall, so we got new faces right. for that rivalry that's getting yeah. renewed, and uh, that'll be an interesting uh, plot as we get into the season. But certainly, uh, yeah, it's always uh, fun with the broadcast. It's funny now. I feel now I know like kind of how the students feel because – they always come up to me, so what softball games are you not doing? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of <laughs> doing the majority. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sorry, you know. guys. You're out of luck this time. Maybe next time. Brandon Helwig, UCFSports.com, UCF Sports on Twitter. Thanks again. We'll catch you. Uh, hopefully I'll catch you at some basketball at some point, Brandon. But uh, Yeah, I will, I'll definitely see you soon. All right, Brandon. Thanks again. Thank, thank you very much, guys. I had a blast. All right, stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Figley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on! Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez. Huge thanks, by the way, to Brandon Helwig for spending time with us. And um, I, I know that I, I know that we kind of went into the weeds, but I wanted to really sink our teeth into that interview with Brandon because you know we we got so in depth about not just the National Signing Day that UCF just had, but going back into the past about it, which is fun, you know fun to talk about. And I think a lot of you guys, you know, some of you older what? UCF fans will bring back some some pretty good memories for you guys. Well, and the thing is, and let's give him his due here. When you talk about all these rival sites, you know, you know, war chant for Florida State obviously comes to mind and other sites for all the schools that have. They usually have multiple people uh, uh, that work on the site. Well, Brandon's a one man show. Right. Uh, and, and he's done it for years. I'm, I've always I've I, told him before. I'm like, I'm convinced that he is actually that there are actually triplets. And th- th- <laughs> it's just they just keep it secret from all of us uh, because it's impossible. Sure. He is everywhere. So, um, and, it, and 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 he's. I mean, UCF fans always go to him when there's something that comes up. I mean, uh, and that's the thing. I've known him for a long time. As he mentioned, we met at the UCF Clemson game, 2001. Yep. Uh, and that was my first ever uh, UCF road game at the at the time. And. Uh, you know, that Death Valley. And I got to talk to him. And, you know, and over the years, I contributed to his side and helped him out with some of the non-football stuff and some football stuff, too. And I've seen the behind-the-scenes stuff. But uh, he he's amazing. Because when you think about the coverage of UCF, the Orlando Sentinel is kind of a uh, – it's been kind of a revolving door. People that have covered UCF uh, going back, way back in the day to the late Jerry Green, obviously. You know, other people have covered it. Alan Schmacke, I believe, was covering UCF when you and I were in school. Yeah. Uh, Ileana Lamone, uh, you had Paul Tenorio, now Shannon Owen Green. Craig I mean, Hightower. there's all, sure. Thank you, Kai Halta, uh, Yeah, Hightower's yeah. been there. Yeah, so I mean, there's been a revolving, but Brandon's been the constant, and he's seen this program grow. Uh, and he covers the, the recruiting side and the football side, but he also does the basketball and the baseball. Really, uh, the in depth he does with baseball and the tradition it does there too. So, uh, right. always great to chat with him about that because you know he's. Like I said, he kind of, you know, it, it, he puts out all the content. He'll add some commentary. And people always are intrigued by his opinions and stuff. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll never forget last year. I'll be, I mean, when the coaching search was going on for football, 
everybody, it seemed myself included, was checking out the site to see, okay, what does yeah. he got? What what's the what's the latest? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was just it and was must, about, you know must tune in. And he talked about Twitter notifications, which is the funny part because he's yeah. he's one of my notifications on Twitter. If if, if Brandon Absolutely. gets something, I yeah. I always want to know about it, and and you should too if you want to know about what's going on with UCF. And oh by the way, one last note on Brandon can never underestimate how good of a photographer he is. He shoots every game for football. And that's why he's not so active on social media like during games. It's because he's down there on the sidelines, you know, shooting photos. And he's just he's an amazing photographer. I wish I was as good as he was at that. So I wanted to give him a shout out. And he loves that. He loves doing that and uh, enjoys that. And I've made this and I've I've stated this, uh, you know, at the UCF Hall of Fame. I think down the road he needs to be in the UCF Hall of Fame. Uh, wow. because That's, yeah, and I and because think about who as in depth as he's covered that program. Uh, I mean, he's made a significance. I think he's you know he's gotten fans. I think to follow the program, yeah. you know, he's helped. And that. he's a UCF uh, grad, just like us. And what he's promoted the program and stuff like that. So I mean, and, and not that he's you know a, a, a you know a fan of the program or, or as far as oh you know, but he follows he covers the program as as, as in depth as anybody has. In this market, really. So uh, that's not involved in UCF broadcasting. I want to clarify that. Obviously, Mark <laughs> Daniels has covered the program for a long time, Jerry O'Neill, etc. But they're obviously on the broadcast side of things, uh, whereas Brandon is not on the broadcast side. So uh, he's the constant. I mean, him and probably Pat Clark, now that I think about it, are probably the two longest tenured people that have covered UCF athletics and, and, and Pat Clark, you know, that are not involved on the broadcasting side. Uh, and Pat really is more of a football guy and he's covered some of the basketball baseball, but he doesn't do that as much and definitely doesn't do it like Brandon does. So, uh, great to have him on. Uh, he's the go-to guy. Always learned a lot from him. And, uh, I, I think, uh, a true treasure and always enjoy, uh, listening to what his thoughts are because his opinion matters as, uh, as much as anybody. So we've got one of the things that Brandon's obviously covering now that he's now that National Signing Day is done and that we're covering right now is of course basketball. And we gotta talk about UCF men's basketball, Eric, because <laughs> they are in a bit of a free fall right now. Knights have lost four in a row. Uh lost on Saturday at Tulsa by eleven. And then we were talking about this road trip at, at Tulsa at Houston on Wednesday night, and they lose by eighteen. So double digit losses in their last two games. Uh, the Houston game, they just never – they were down two at the half, but the second half, things just got way out of hand. You know, Matt Williams had another great game, 26 points, 9 of 15 shooting. Um, but uh, Taco Fall uh, did not. He was only four points on two of four shooting. Um, fouled out of the game. You know, he got into foul trouble. Uh, B.J. Taylor kind of struggled from the field at 6 of 17. He finished with 19 points and four assists. Um, UCF ended up uh, shooting 36%, whereas Houston shot 53.8% from the field. Damian Dawson, we knew how good he would be. 31 points for Houston to go with six rebounds on 11 of 16 from the field. He had seven threes. Um, and now we got to kind of step back and look at the big picture because this is a danger zone for UCF. Right now they stand at 14-8, and eight, and they're 500 in the conference at 5-5. Five and five. Um, you know, I know they've defended the home court as they should, ten and two, but three and three and five on the road now. Um, are you as scared as I am right now? I don't know if scared is the word I would use. I mean, I'm not shocked. I mean, I've been saying we knew it would be tough. Terrible. 
You know, and I think you've seen it. I mean, the lack of depth when you don't have a lot of options. If certain guys don't play well in that given right. night, you're not going to win, especially at this level. I mean, look at the places they've played. Memphis, it's a tough place. Tulsa's a tough place to play. Houston, uh, you know, it's a, it's not easy to win on the, in the conference on the road. And then, you know, even the SMU game at home, that was a tight game we talked about last week. So not an easy part of the schedule. It's not going to get easier. They got Memphis coming into town on Saturday, but... You know, that's why, again, I mean, the flaws that we've talked about since October, when we've had Michael Dono on this show, we've had Taylor Young on this show, and they've said it, that the concerns is the lack of depth, and would it catch up with this team? And that was my concern, and it started, it has catched up with them a little bit. Matt Williams was great, but as you mentioned, other guys struggled, and that's that's the problem. There is, when a guy, when you don't have depth, if a guy is struggling, you don't have other options. You have to ride with them, and that's unfortunate here, so... You know, it's it's tough. You know, you would I would have you know you would have liked them to maybe steal a road game uh, or two, but uh, didn't happen. And uh, but you know, again, it's not a shock if if people just remember back to what where the expectations were in October. Uh, I still would say if you would have told me where they're at right now in October, I would still would take it. So um, you just got to get off the you know. Hopefully, they can find a way to get a win. And uh, you know, Memphis will be an interesting game. They had a real tight game up in Memphis and uh, Memphis won that close. So we'll see how they do now uh, here in Orlando on Saturday, but uh, look, it's a tough stretch. It's a tough stretch. And uh, I know it's uh, frustrating at times to see, you know, especially the Houston game, they got off to a pretty good start, but then it's the second half kind of, they kind of, uh, it got away from them a little bit. You could, they faded a little bit and uh, you know, teams have made adjustments and you know, the travel too, Jeff, I mean, going to Tulsa, uh, they played a Saturday game. I believe they didn't get out of Tulsa until Sunday. So now, and, and trust me, I've done that trip. I believe they have connecting flights. You don't just go a straight shot from Tulsa to Orlando. So that takes a day in itself. They probably got in Sunday, late uh, afternoon, evening, maybe Sunday. Now all of a sudden you got Monday and then Tuesday, you got to go out to Houston. You know, uh, that's not easy, Jeff. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that's been addressed and talked about. As far as the traveling uh, issues with men's basketball in the past, with uh, flying commercial, and I don't know what the specifics are as far as flying, but I I know that that is still being worked on as far as being maybe trying to get a charter flight, stuff like that down the road and and this year and all that stuff. But uh, it it does take its toll on people, and uh, you know that's unfortunately where we're at. But now they have a chance to come home and uh, hopefully get a good crowd on Saturday and see if they can get off the Schneid. And you feel like if they can just get off the Schneid, maybe they can uh, settle some things down. And and to me, what has been the goal and what I've said is hopefully be a postseason basketball team, which means, you know, CBI or NIT, but they're going to have to turn some things around soon. Three of the next four at home, including a tailgate game on Saturday yep. against Memphis too, Eric. So, and then they go to Cincinnati uh, next Wednesday. So that's two critical games for UCF men's basketball, women's basketball. On the other hand, they had uh, uh, they had a tough time uh, up at Memphis uh, on Saturday. They lo- they drop uh, another uh, a conference game there, sixty five to fifty nine to the Tigers. Um, the third quarter was where things kind of unraveled. UCF was actually up at the half, uh, thirty to twenty three. Uh, but then things kind of came apart. They get they uh, got outscored twenty one ten in the third. Top scores for uh, UCF twenty six points for Zy Lewis on nine of nineteen shooting, six of fifteen from beyond the arc. 
Um, that's a lot of shot attempts from the outside. I know that's, you know, I mean, you know, we're, I'm all for his eye shooting him, but, you know, then again, that's not what Coach Abe wants to do. Aliyah Gregory was 6 of 16 for 13 points. Um, but the Knights, you know, after a hot shooting first half, 52%, uh, fell down to 35% in the second half, whereas uh, Memphis shot 39 in the first and then 45 in the second, and they got the victory. So, uh, right now for UCF women's basketball, they kind of find themselves in a little bit of limbo as well, where they've kind of been middling a little bit. Um, you know, right now as we take a look at where UCF stands, 13-8 uh, and eight overall, but 3-5 and five in the conference. Uh, you know, despite, you know, winning records home in a way, you know, conference has not been kind to them, at least to this point. Um, they, had that lo- they had that losing streak, and now they've uh, split their last four. Uh, they have SMU coming up on Saturday, um, and, or, and that's an uh, di- American Digital Network game that you can catch on the web on February uh, 4th this coming Saturday. So, um, and that's going to be and that's going to be another tough road game, uh, uh, Eric. But you know they're they're heading down a stretch right now where they have four out of five on the road. And that's not easy either. No, you're right. I mean, four out of five in the road, and you know as Coach Avis said, uh, you know each team is, each game they kind of come out differently. You know, and you mentioned Zai had the big game. Gregory was kind of uh, held in check, and you know for them to be really good, they both have to be clicking, and uh, they were not both clicking against Memphis. That had to be frustrating. They both games they played against Memphis this year came down to a couple of possessions, and Memphis came out on top. So now you're right; they're going to go on the road here, so they're going to be challenged and uh, to to remain kind of focused and 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 not lose focus, which at times I know they've. Uh, had issues with so interesting to see how they handle the road environment uh here in the in the next uh, four out of five should be noted both teams right now seventh in the american respectively and both women's and men's for ucf quick updates for you on tennis both the men and the women were in action at the usda national campus this past uh, uh this past weekend defeating bethune cookman uh, bethune uh, both uh, by the way both of them seven seven to nothing or actually I don't, I don't actually. It doesn't say that they were played at the at the USTA National Campus, so I have to double check on that. But um, they defeat Bethune. Both teams defeat Bethune Cookman uh, to get victories over uh, uh, over the weekend. Um, women's tennis is now four and one. Men's tennis is also at four and one. They have a Friday match coming up February seventeenth. They got some time off before they take on Tennessee Tech. The men do. The women their next match is going to be against Florida A&M at the USTA uh, National Campus. By the way, the Bethune matches were at the USTA National. Um, Florida A&M this coming uh, Friday, uh, February 3rd at 1 p.m. So, so far, good starts for both tennis squads, right? That's right. John Roddick doing his magic on the men's side and uh, his hire at the women's side doing well, too. So, so far, so good. Yep, so far. All right, what do you got? I know we went long, folks, but, you know, we had Brandon for, on that whole time. We wanted to have that on there and air it to you as, you know, as a whole thing. So um, what do you got coming up this week for you, Eric? Well, obviously, I produce Tuck and O'Neill weekdays, uh, 3 to 7 on Sports Talk 1080, the Team Orlando, also up in Gainesville and Ocala. Uh, and then I'll be going to the Memphis basketball game on Saturday. And then uh, a week from this Friday, February 10th, on the call. UCF softball season opener gets famed three o'clock. Right. My tenth, my tenth year, ten years ago, a decade. Did, uh, Eric start. Lopez, yeah, 
I have been there since 2007. I don't know how that works. It It's 10 years, but if you actually count the seasons, it's actually like technically my 11th. I don't know how the map – Well, it's, I don't it's know how your, that works. Last year was your 10th season, but right. it has been 10 years. Correct. So Well said. There you go. Just so – uh, so it's fun. Looking forward to it. Young team. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that next week. We go more in depth on that uh, to uh, talk about the softball season. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting uh, really uh, geared up for. I know you're just coming off work and making your American Digital uh, Network that's season right. debut. Uh, you called that Cincinnati USF game. You're part of that broadcast. So yeah, with the uh, great Ted Sarandis, a legend in Boston, he used to be Boston College's play-by-play guy. Um, got a good look at USF. Women's basketball, boy, are they good under Jose Fernandez. I mean, they are really good. They're really scary. You can check that out um, if you want to do some scouting uh, on uh, on YouTube as well. Just look up for the American Digital Network and check out that game. And uh, and then we'll be back again next week. We're gonna be. I mean, we're heading right down the pike. We got baseball and softball getting ready to fire up. So hopefully, we'll have more content for you there. So where can people catch up with you, Eric? Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. Can hit me up at Jeff underscore Sharon. Hit us both up at UCF underscore Banneret. And of course, don't forget to follow our guest, Brandon Helwig, at UCF Sports and at UCFSports.com as well. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Also on Facebook, all you got to do is look for Black and Gold Banneret. And subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. You can also hit us up on SoundCloud, Google Play and tune in. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.